is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part one with Devin and Janky, we discuss work ethic, kindness, world travel, live and in color, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy part one with Devin and Janky. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Devin and Janky. Dev, thank you for joining me today. Hey, friend. Thank you for having me. It's so good to connect with you after all these years. I, You know, it is. It's been a while. There's so much I want to talk about. Of course, uh, Live and in Color, Little Girl Blue, which came as a result. I also want to talk about our time back at Stella Adler. And of course, so much more. But before we get to all of that, Dev, I want to take it back to the beginning of time for you. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? Oh, I so I have been in love with, involved with, and obsessed with showbiz since I was, you know, could barely walk. My mother always loves to tell the story that I grew up traveling all over the world. By the time I was 16, I'd gone to 16 different schools and lived in Australia and Germany and sort of spent my teenage years in Canada. But when I was four, my parents took me to see the Bolshoi Russia in in uh, the Bolshoi Valley in Russia. And uh, I saw ballet and my mom was as I pointed to the stage and I said, I want to do that. And uh, so since I've been little, I've been doing it. I, uh, I started out, out as a boy soprano in the opera. Then I was a professional ballet dancer in my teenage years and then acting in school plays and local stuff in, up in Canada through my teens. And then at 18 years old, Picked up and moved to New York to actually pursue it. So I love that. What <laughs> that was sort of a history. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What are your parents? What did your parents teach you about work ethic? Oh well, you know, I do not come from an arts family. They are all scientists and doctors and lawyers and college grads, and so I, I don't. You know, it's it's weird. I mean, I think I think my parents are my, my whole family is very driven and focused i think being the um child of immigrants is a very specific thing because we have to really uh put our best foot forward and work harder and and to be seen and heard and succeed we just have to be good mm -hmm. so i think it was always just innately in me that i knew i had to do that from a young age yeah did, did what did they what did they teach you about kindness Well, that's the sort of, I, it's weird. I well, teaching me, I, the way, you know, I think all teaching was done all done through action because my parents were very kind and very um, uh, uh, welcoming. I think my experience of traveling the world, having to meet lots of people and be exposed to lots of cultures and has, has watching them navigate that. Um, and, and I think it's just was uh, uh, just being open and communicating with people. Traveling is so, I think it's so interesting because you realize, first of all, the world is small. And second of all, there's other people on it. And you learn that other cultures yes. have different actions for the same meaning. I wonder how your mind expanded, if you will, or became more worldly as a result of this travel. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I credit, like, as a kid, I hated it. Like, I was, I was like, why? I never made friends. It was so hard at school. But in retrospect, it really shaped who I am and how I interact with people, how I live in the world, how I communicate, how I'm able to adapt to situations, how I'm able to understand people. So it absolutely was completely influential in shaping me as a human being, as an, as an artist. Um, Did you or do you have any particular mentors? And are there any standout lessons? 
that come to mind? Oh, um, so many, so, so many. I mean, I, I continue to have mentors. I mean, I s- still feel it, like in this this far along in my life and career, I have still so much to learn and I still learn from people. Um, I didn't have any real formal, formal education. And for me, it was being in the rooms mm-hmm. with the greats or being lucky enough to just sit in the corner and watch, you know, Rudolf Nureyev or, you know, a, in New York being auditions. Like it, it just, there, I, I, there are really so many people that, that from my very first ballet teacher to um, people, um, other actors who took me under their wing. Um, it's weird now because I was always sort of the youngest person in the room. And now I'm like the, the, the senior one. Yeah. My recent project, I realized like, oh my God, I'm the oldest person on this project. No way. And now I'm the mentor. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Oh, that's so funny. Um, is there a particular project or maybe a role that has taught you the most about yourself or a significant amount about yourself? I mean, I... I will say every project teaches me something new. Sure. Um, since becoming a director, um, uh, this most recent project, just in terms of we'll get to a little girl blue, was yeah. uh, you know it was uh, something that uh, was created from my company. Me and my collaborators. There was nothing there. It was literally nothing that, and there was five years of a journey to get it to off Broadway, mm-hmm. and just sort of having faith in myself and trusting. Uh, trusting that I have the ability to do that. Do you know what I mean? I think there's, there's as personally as an artist, there is always a level of insecurity in terms of the, the how, how, how tough this business is and how unpredictable it is and, and how scary it is still. Um, and making things happen is hard. Mm-hmm. And this just really taught me like, oh, if I just step off the curve, as, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, I can, I can do things. Sure. Sure. Is there, yeah. Is there a self-talk that you have when that self-doubt creeps in? Oh God. (laughs) It's like, not today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've always been one that just, you know, I, I, the, the self, I have to say the self-doubt is still there after all these years. Like every time I walk into a room, every time I like, I do have, that imposter syndrome still after all these years, but most of the time it is, I just force myself to do it. Mm-hmm. And once I'm doing it, I'm fine. Right. It's, I, it's so weird. The mind games we play with ourselves as artists, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's always, it always seems to, it, it always seems a, to creep in at the most inopportune moment, but B it, it does, it never goes away. We just, I think, learn how to deal with it, you know, and kind of, yeah, yeah. And, and push through live and in color. Um, yeah. where were you, what was happening when you decided that this should be a thing? Well, it's always been in the back of my mind. So as a artist of color, as an actor, my entire life has been fighting the fight for being seen, heard, represented, getting jobs, all the things. And, my, uh, you know, obviously my community of people also have been in similar situations. Um, and I just was always trying to find a way to change, change the change the story, change the system and trying to make, make more opportunities. Mm. So just, I have a space up in Connecticut um, called the Bingham Camp that Live and Color res- has its residency in this 
uh, fall. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, many years ago, I was working on Broadway as an actor and 9-11 um, happened. And I, all of Broadway shut down and I threw a bunch of my Broadway friends in a car. I said, let's go away, get out of the city. And I took them to this beautiful, serene place, rustic place. And just to get away and it was all artists and it became sort of an annual thing where I would bring Broadway artists up there and inevitably over the years this beautiful environment created like a lot of creativity and plays were written and cabarets were done and hmm. so for many years I was like how do I turn this into something for real and um then my well, one of my partners in the company Dennis Corsi who is a student of mine hmm. You know, I'm the artistic guy, and I said I had this idea. I was like, "What do I do?" And he had just moved to the city, and he's young and scrappy. And he said, "I'll write your business plan for you." And in four months, we'd raised the first amount of money for this company, and we did our first season. And um, we basically are a, a creative incubator for new plays and musicals for underrepresented communities and and people of color, mm. and really it was out of a need. It was out of, uh, uh, you know, out of uh, our good friend, Andrea Burns mm -hmm. likes to say that, that, you know, you basically, as long as she's known me, I've been talking about wanting to create a place where I could show off all my talented friends. And that really is the bottom line to show off to the world. Like there are so many wonderful people out there that you need to be hiring, paying, giving awards to, you know, all the things. And, um, okay. So that really is the root of it. Of course, and that's where Little Girl Blue had the beginnings. I want to talk about that, but in one moment, I'm curious, when you started this, how, how did you get better at asking? Or what was your self-talk oh. through, like, you know, asking basic, you know, asking for funds, asking for money? What was that? Anything that you That is the hardest thing. That still, that still is, is uh, uh, um, hard because, you know, I, I, and it's, it's, for us artists, I mean, this is, um, Joe Papp has a great book and he talks about, you know, for me, we are, as artists are so connected with the art and it's hard to separate ourselves from the art. Some people are better this, than this than other, but he, he talks about like, you're not asking for the money for yourself. You're asking for the art. You're asking for theater. You're asking for the, and so for me, that's always a challenge. Um, just, you know, putting myself out there. And that's the hardest thing about our industry is the fundraising. I mean, it's, it's, we live in a country where the arts aren't supported they, the way they are in other countries. And so we're really, we are always fighting for support, funding, you know, respectability, you know, it just is the nature of the American theater, which is sad and mm. hopefully will change one day. Um, uh, but I believe the work is important. So I, I, you know, I, I have, we have to do it. There's no other choice. <laughs> yeah. Has, has it gotten easier asking? Or no. Has, okay. There it is. What, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it has. In fact, the pandemic has made it worse. Honestly, yeah. you know, it's it, in terms of, you're talking about funding. Oh, yeah. are, you, so are you talking about yeah. fundraising? Yeah. Um, it's made it, it's actually been harder. You know, I, I think, you know, an industry that was already struggling, um, we shut down for two years mm -hmm. and we're back, supposedly back, but I don't think 
honestly, this sounds very sort of bleak, but I don't think we've seen the real repercussions of it. You know, I think, I think it's going to be hard going for a while. It will bounce back. I have no doubt, but it's, it's, um, I think just the, the patterns I've seen in, in what people are producing and what theaters are able to produce are, are, are just smaller and smaller and less expensive um, shows. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.